Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have the Clinical Athlete Forum, where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance. To join the forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. We've got weightlifting certifications coming up, so check it out. This podcast can also be found on our website along with YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. If the platform that you use allows you to rate the show, we'd appreciate you taking the time to do that so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by co-host Jared Maynard, who is the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director and Coordinator and a physiotherapist at Depth Physiotherapy in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is also a strength coach and runs an online powerlifting coaching company and is a competitive powerlifter himself. And we have our other co-host, John Flagg who is an athletic trainer and the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong in White Plains, Maryland, and the owner of Rebuild Stronger, an online coaching platform for strength athletes. John is also a clinical athlete provider and the lead instructor of the Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification. And one quick announcement, we have recently launched the Clinical Athlete Coaching Program in which myself, John, and Jared are head coaches. So if you're an athlete or know of any athletes in need of coaching to be able to get back to or surpass their previous performance goals, head over to clinicalathlete.com for details. And for the most important announcement, on this show, we welcome Ellie Summers. Ellie is a doctor of physical therapy and the owner and head she-wolf for Sisu Sports Performance and PT in Seattle, Washington, where she works to foster female athlete development before, during, and after injury. On this episode, we talk with Ellie about those very things, how to get female athletes comfortable with lifting, special considerations when managing the rehab or training of the female athlete, and a lot more. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Clinic Athlete Podcast. We got Jared and John as always. Jared, what's up? Not much, man. How are you? Oh, I'm just living the dream. And a boy, West Coast living. Uh huh. I was in Wisconsin this past weekend for a course, and it was fall there, and it's cold. But like a little, you can you can feel the difference. It's like a different kind of cold mm. up there. And you and you survived. I, well, almost, almost Did survived. To, I'm actually dead. It snowed in Montana today. Really? Yeah. I'm not in Montana, but I have friends in Montana, and it snowed, and I'm jealous. Wow. Montana's beautiful, though. It is. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. I had an awesome day. Looking Good. forward to this conversation. What did you do today? <laughs> uh, coached. A, I coached a ton of women, which is appropriate for our conversation. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and I squatted 8.15, so I'm really happy. Son Damn. Briefs or what? Uh, straps down. <laughs> Wait, straps down. why don't you, why are you assuming? Huh? Just because that's a lot of weight. What, maybe it's... He trains equipped, man. I know that. Okay. <laughs> and I swear people that can do that without some sort of equipment are freaks of nature. 
That'd be a terrifying experience. So we also have <laughs> Dr. Ellie Summers, who is a physical therapist, is going to school us on training and rehab for the female athlete. Ellie, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks, Thanks. for having me. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. So Ellie is going to be doing a webinar for us very soon about rehab for the female athlete. And we thought we'd get her on and start talking about some of the points that she's going to hit on in the webinar. Cause it's, it's a big, it's a big topic. Uh, yeah. and before we do that though, can you talk a little bit about your background and what's kind of led you to your current interests and, and everything that you're doing and, uh, to the pinnacle of your professional career now <laughs> talking to our six listeners of the clinical athlete podcast. Yeah. This is the peak. There's nowhere to go. Down. <laughs> you should have waited longer. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, gosh, where do you even start? Well, I've been a physical therapist for about 11 years. Uh, and maybe a few years ago, three, three or four years ago, I paid off my student loans and, and <clears throat> realized that I had a little bit of financial freedom and it, it gave me a boost to start my own practice. And so I started my own practice sort of on a whim, admittedly, not a great plan in place, not a lot of thought in place. I just knew I wanted to be doing something different. Um, and then in starting that, I worked a lot with women and really enjoyed it and realized, I, I think, how much we miss when we work, um, when, how much we miss or need to be doing differently when we work with male clients versus female clients. Uh, and that was really highlighted when I saw a client um, who was early on in starting my practice because I had been working in peds before that. I saw a client as an adult who had been in back pain for years and years um, and been told a lot of really scary and harmful things about her body uh, that made her really terrified to move in any direction. Um, and that was kind of a turning point for me in seeing how language can impact how a woman feels in her body and how she feels in pain. And lo and behold, a few years later now, I'm like really specialized in work with women. So, yeah. When you have a lot of programs and things going as well, you've got a kind of an endurance-based deal going. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with that? Yeah. So I realized that I was pretty good at working with runners. <laughs> and so I started to niche down a little bit, maybe maybe like a few months ago. Um, I've always worked with runners and started coaching them a few years ago, but it was kind of like on the side. It wasn't really big primary focus and then started becoming more of a focus as people referred and you, you know, you start building a little bit of a reputation. Um, and so now I help women really in their transition from injury back to performance. And then you know, if they want to keep working with me towards those performance goals, I'm working with them during that as well. So that's like, I would say that's a good portion of my business now is coaching runners, you know, back to performance running and coaching runners how to lift weights. Cool. Yeah. And in regards to your training personally, is that kind of where you are right now as well? Lifting to augment some of your endurance based things? You know, it's funny. Yes and no. I exercise now for the pure like love of exercise. Um, and I'm 
kind of learning how to uh, weightlift a little bit better these days. I was I originally sort of, I don't want to say trained as a powerlifter, but kind of trained as a powerlifter and then transitioned into weightlifting earlier this year and just like started really enjoying it. Um, the running, the running has always just been something that I like to do. I've never been a competitive runner. I've actually played division one soccer in college. And so soccer was always my jam. Um, and now as an adult, it's just a great way for me to feel good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> Weightlifting is way more fun than powerlifting though. You can just admit it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I am like, I am turned. <laughs> it's a lot more fun. It actually reminds me of sport, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. To be an athlete, to be a weightlifter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. oh man. There it is. Oh, we're best friends already. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of skills and drills and like, you know, when you're going for like something big, you get a little bit nervous. And I guess I got that with powerlifting too, but maybe not quite as much. It's just a different feel. I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> we can just talk about this the rest of the show is how much yeah. better weightlifting is than powerlifting. But no, I, I think that's a good... <laughs> I think that's a good... broaden your horizons. <laughs> no, she did. She you. came back. Oh, me. I did too. Yeah, I'm you. a national champion powerlifter, my friend. I have a trophy from 2010. Yeah. Throw that in my face. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Just brag about it a little more. Whatever. It's well, it's okay. It was uh, a federation that nobody's heard of. So, so I, I say it very I say it very NASA, NASA. Look it up. Oh. It's, it's real. Oh. Look it up. Not the space agency. Yeah. Nope. Even better. Fake news. <laughs> So I think I think that's a good segue, though, to what we're going to talk about with female athletes and and lifting weights or or just female patients in general. You know, I say athlete is somebody who's trying to get back to something physical or maybe you're as a clinician using physical activity as your intervention. So the principles are the same. But what are some of what are some of the barriers or those initial barriers that you see on a consistent basis in regards to getting some of your female clients, female patients to resistance train, that type of thing? Yeah, I think the most obvious barrier is a fear of load and um, really a lack of understanding of, of how much to load when we're talking about weightlifting or just lifting weights in general. Um, and for women, I, a lot of the women that I work with they just have never, ever done it. Um, and, you know, if, if you've been exposed to weightlifting for a period of time, you start to learn, you know, what heavy is. And mm -hmm. to have so many women just never be exposed to it, I think, is like the biggest issue. And there's no better place to capture these people than when they've gone through rehab, in my opinion, or when they start rehab. Um because it's a great opportunity to teach them those principles under, you know, good, edu highly educated individuals. So um, that's what I would say about that. Do you find that they're coming in with some consistent misnomers? Because it's, it's a learned thing to be, to be a little bit reticent from that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of women come in with the idea that load is going to make them big um, or look like a man. And I guess I don't really get into too many conversations with people about that, except to introduce them to load in the first place. 
Um, and I think once I'm able to introduce them to load in a way that they feel safe and empowered, that that sort of subtle undertoned conditioning, I think, starts to fade to the background a little bit. And then it becomes more about like, oh, am I doing this right? Um, there's a lot of fear about, you know, if, if their movement quality is good enough. Um, I think a lot of women are very type a lot of the women I see, I should say, are type A personalities, so they want to be perfecting the movement early on, um, and that's a barrier too because, you know, it's not going to be perfect initially, and if you want to be loading appropriately, sometimes it's not going to look pretty, and that's okay. And so you get sort of these nuanced experiences that influence somebody's willingness to go back to it and to experiment with it and be aggressive with it. Do you have some specific strategies that you go towards? So education is a piece of this, I would assume. And, and it's, you know, you're, you're implementing education throughout the process, but in regards to how you actually get them into a, an entry point for loading, you know, it's not, oh, just go pick up that barbell. Let's go, just go deadlift. You know, how do you kind of nudge that? Yeah, a, a little so bit. I would say it actually is kind of like that. Um, okay. I try to approach those early stages without any, um, I don't know, barriers to their movement, right? To say like, I don't want a woman to come in and see me who's having back pain and for me to be like scaring the shit out of deadlifts, you know, like scaring them so much that they don't want to deadlift. And so Usually it's an exploratory process um, and I'll put weight in front of them and be like, you know, try this uh, without like a lot of instruction or barriers. I'll maybe demonstrate the movement first. If they're really nervous about it, you know, we'll start light. But usually it's forcing them to test the waters with it because I find that most of the time they surprise themselves. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The endurance athletes. Is there is there a barrier? Is there kind of a double barrier there between the endurance female athletes where they don't want to they don't want to get bulky? Number one, because it would slow them down. And then number two, it's like what you said, that kind of like cultural misrepresentation or that that uh, misunderstanding of the physiology behind lifting weights, but do you find that sometimes be doubly difficult in that population specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Not all women that I work with are ready for it. And that, that's like a slow burn type of thing for me, you know, cause most of them, like I said earlier, they don't know how to do it and they've never, they've never like pushed up to, you know, an eight or a nine or a 10, like they've never tested those levels. And for runners, we don't really need to be testing one rep max to be making big changes, but we do need to have a good idea of where that like 70% is. And if they don't know what that feels like more often than not, they're way underloading, way underloading and doing, you know, the classic like high repetition, low load type of exercises. And I'm trying to help runners conceptualize like actually, you know, it'd be great if we can do, you know, a 30 minute workout, workout is relative strength workout where you're doing heavy deadlifts, you know, trap bar deadlift, 
a couple of drills and a couple other strength exercises. And it shouldn't take you an eternity to get this shit done, but you have to be loading enough in order to achieve those results. And so many women just don't know what that feels like. And so I don't force it. You know, I don't force them to go heavier than what they're comfortable with. Um, I think most of the time they need a coach or physio. I consider my job as a physio or physical therapist, a coach nowadays anyway, to work them through that and sort of nudge them along in a controlled fashion, but in a way that like pushes them to the point where maybe their form does start to break down. And then they can be like, holy shit, I just deadlifted, you know, 130 pounds when before I had no clue what I was doing. I wanted to take it back to the the language piece and, and kind of stick on deadlifts there. Cause uh, I think I find myself taking a similar tack as what you described in terms of just not even giving them much of a spiel or sometimes not even calling it a deadlift. Um, because sometimes I'll ask them, or if I ask, Hey, have you ever deadlifted before? Like, no, I don't think I have. It's like, you ever see this sort of movement? They're like, Oh yeah, no, I can't, I can't do that. So sometimes it just seems to go over smoother if I just put a weight in front of them, even on a block and just say, just pick that up. And yeah. just, what do you mean? Just pick it up however you want to. And we'll go from there. Just really try to lower that barrier to entry. Exactly. And I think so often, like I had said, they surprise themselves. And the same is true with injury. You know, I was thinking about it today during my workout this morning. I'm doing squats and having a little niggle in my hip. And most people are conditioned to think, you have pain, like you got to deload a little bit. And I'm like the opposite, <laughs> you know? And so I added weight and lo and behold, it went away. And I think like, I, you know, I don't need to get into the nuances of pain on that issue, but it's really a moment where you can be like, you're resilient and this isn't going to be like, you know, it's not going to be the death of you to try and lift this weight. Let's just start there. Yeah. Love it. So I want to ask, I want to kind of dive into this a little bit more because I want to get a little bit into the root of why the surprise and fear is there. Um, I run into this a lot because majority of the women uh, on my team that I coach in powerlifting run into the same thing. You know, that's a nine, but it looks like a seven. And then you have them do an AMRAP and they do 15 reps instead of the three. <laughs> um, yeah. Where do you think a lot of this this fear and, and I don't even want to call it apprehension comes from in regards to the language. And, and I'd probably say um, inequity of language uh, given to women, especially in a, in a healthcare and, and athletic environment. It seems to me as though there's still this prevalent message of frailty yeah. that is spread. Um, what, what's your take on that? I mean, fragility narratives are like, I'm trying to break those down every day. You know, like women are told so often that their bodies are messed up in some way, in some way, anyway. And that doesn't make people feel good about themselves in any environment. And it, when you add like this uh, cultural strength and conditioning realm, women haven't been exposed to that at all and have been sort of conditioned to think it's not their space to be in. Um, you know, I, I hope, I like to think like social media is changing that game a little bit and um, younger athletes are being introduced to these things. Uh, but fragility narratives are just pervasive. And, you know, you 
I get clients who are like, you know, my sister told me that my back is all fucked up. And it's like, what? <laughs> what does your sister know about this? You know, or who have friends who are like trainers and, and giving them advice that, you know, sort of keeps them wrapped up into it. Uh, you know, and then there's, there's the whole like Q angle and wide hip thing that women experience as well. This message that, you know, our wide hips are the reason why we have knee pain, why we have hip pain, why we have back pain. And these narratives, they stick with people, you know, and, and especially when they've experienced injury or had a painful circumstance in any of these environments, it's, it's like their, you know, their reason for why they experience pain is because my body's messed up. It's not shaped right. I'm pronated in my feet. My knees buckle. You know, when I was a child, my doctor told me that my hips face a weird way. And um, you couple that with then an inherent bias to not load female athletes um, enough. And, you know, it's a perfect recipe for just feeling fragile. How deep do you go into the physiology of if you get the, well, I don't want to get I don't want to build muscle mass. I don't want to get too bulky. I mean, do you do you debunk that with just straight anatomy and and science behind that? Because I know that I you know I've heard that too, but I have colleagues that hear that all the time, and they're always kind of searching for that elevator pitch. Yeah, I usually keep it as simple as possible and say it takes really specific training and really specific nutrition to do that. You're not going to get big, and that's tended to work most of the time, but you know, you still get, I, so I do the coaching that I'm doing in strength is online and it's all virtual. And, um, you know, I get some in-person clients through that too, but the virtual side of things is interesting because you'll program something for somebody and then they do something totally different with less weight. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're missing the whole point here and you can just see where these sort of subtle self-regulating behaviors impact their loading on their own. Um, so, you know, I do the best that I can, but everybody's coming to the table with extensive bias about that. And I think that most people tend to respond with, okay, I'm going to trust this process. And you just got to keep gently nudging them because it's not, it's not a fucking race. So just slow it down. <laughs> Mark it down. She's the reason we're getting a mature rating on this one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, it, I think we have one already, don't we? Sometimes maybe, we do, and sometimes know. we don't. Uh, Jared normally says enough sorries that it erases it. <laughs> yeah. I kept this on good terms. Like, I can't do it here. We have a Canadian, so it's that takes it away. Yeah, for sure. But well, and it's funny because I I wish that. I wish it was like that as, oh, I don't want to get bulky as a guy. Like as if, as if putting on muscle as a male was that easy. I wish it was that easy. Yeah. If I just, I just look at a weight and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to look like the guys on at the Arnold. It doesn't work like that. Uh, you see, it's, it's hard for anybody to, to truly build muscle. So I think that right there is like, we're going to lift in a way that strength doesn't equal muscle mass necessarily. You can get stronger. Without, yeah. without packing on a bunch of hypertrophy. And that's for anybody, yeah. you know, not just female. And that I usually break it down. You know, sometimes I'll do like a little visual, just like a strength and conditioning pyramid or whatever, you know, so they can kind of see like what I'm talking about. And none of that includes the words hypertrophy. It just, I don't include it in there. And so, you know, I think that word scares people. And I'm like, 
they just have a misunderstanding of what it actually means. Um, and so simplifying it seems to seems to work pretty well for most women. And I'm fortunate enough, women come to me because they trust me. You know, they've been given um, my name by somebody or seen something that I've done. And so now I'm getting people who, I hate to say, like, I'm not fighting against them. You know, it's they're ready to work with me as part of their team. So I'm good a little place bit to be. fortunate that way. Yeah, it is a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also means that it's your the the message is being spread. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> the the idea of energy availability in the in the female athlete. Um, you had actually sent us over a like a consensus statement on mm-hmm. relative energy deficiency in sport, and that was a 2018 consensus statement. It's actually open access. Yeah. C- can you go into RED a little bit? Because I, I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah. So maybe even kind of break it down right from the beginning, what it is, how it, it can affect the female athlete, and we can kind of jump off from there. Yeah. So RED is relative energy deficiency in sport. That's red S. Uh, and it's basically when the energy you take in doesn't match the energy you expend. Um, and it can lead to a whole host of issues with your entire body. Um, so like for women in particular, especially with endurance athletes, uh, you know, I think there's a cultural stigma around, you know, body image and weight and race pace and being fast and what that means. And, you know, that you need to lose weight to be fast and all of these things that influence how much energy they actually intake while they run or before they run or after they run that impacts their energy availability. And it can lead to musculoskeletal injury. It can lead to gastrointestinal distress, cardiovascular issues, um, psychological issues. Basically any system of your body can get messed up because of this. Do you, are you seeing this in the, in some of the populations that you're working with or, or have worked with? A hundred percent. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a pretty decent portion. I think, I think honestly, most women have some of this. Um, and I have, you know, I'm trying to find the best ways to educate women because it's really, it's a very personal experience. And I think that, you know, it's not my job to say to somebody, you don't need to lose weight, you know, but it is my job to keep them healthy and keep them from having injuries. And so there's like this very uh, sensitive discussion that has to happen around how much food they're eating, what that means for their performance. Um, You know, things like if they're having an intolerance to the workload that we're you know, that I'm programming, that might be an indicator that they're not getting enough fuel to be able to perform. Um, yeah, it's, it's nuanced and it's difficult. Uh, you know, things, things like having conversations about their menstrual cycle. I use now the fitter woman app. It's an app that tracks, uh, my athletes menstrual cycles and their symptoms of their menstrual cycle to adjust some of their programming. It has also helped me explain some of why they feel like crap one week and maybe feel better another week. Um, yeah. So lots of considerations when it comes to red S, you know, it's, 
They, they use the term red S now because it also is a term that encompasses men, uh, whereas before it was like the female athlete triad. Uh, now we know that any athlete can have these issues and red S is a much better umbrella to encompass those issues. And I, I will say I'm not like the best person to talk about red S, but I'm familiar with the signs and symptoms and I know that food matters and women are just, you know, pretty much all of us have some form of eating dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. Whether that's a disorder or not, it's, it's definitely common that we'll have something that we're struggling with, with our bodies. The next question I was going to ask is, it doesn't seem like this is something that would be, it's not specific to women. And you touched on that there. Now it kind of makes sense where it's more of an umbrella term. Anybody can have something like this or experience signs and symptoms of this, but perhaps it is that some of the the prior beliefs, the cultural stuff that you're talking about that maybe shifts that needle towards the female population a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I can't think of very many women that I know that are like, oh, I love my body. I love everything about it. Like, <laughs> I just can't, you know, and maybe I know men are the same way too, and they have similar tendencies, but it's just, we know it's more common in women. And we know that especially women in sport are more likely to have eating disorders or body image, body image issues and things of that nature. Uh, it's, and it's not talked about in a very healthy manner either. You know, I think so often we're like, you need to be eating the right things and just eat, get all your greens. And it's like, well, wait a second. You know, I could eat salads all day and I'm still not fueling for what I need to be doing when I'm out there running. You know, carbs, like the whole like low carb diet, everybody wants to be on a low carb diet now. And if you run, you can't be on that diet if you want to be performing well and reducing your risk for injury. Like you got to be consuming some form of carbohydrate regularly when you're talking about long distance running in particular. So yeah, I think, you know, breaking down some of these conversations and making sure that women know if you haven't had your period in a while, that's a bad thing. And that's a sign that you're deficient in energy. Um, if you've got a history of bone stress injury, um, a low tolerance to your workloads, all of these things. You talked about how sensitive of a conversation that is. It's a tough conversation talking yeah. about chronic diet culture and breaking. We, we had a whole podcast on misinformation and that is ingrained yeah. in our society of all the misinformation. Like you talked about salads. That's, yeah. oh, I'll just have a salad and I'll have salad again and I'll have a salad again. It's yeah. like, okay, well, I'm glad your iceberg lettuce is fueling your 10 mile run. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good luck with that. Uh, yeah. And it it's tough to break those walls down, and they can be really hard conversations. Oh, for sure. You have somebody come to you and tell you they're, they're eating 700 calories a day. Yeah. And they don't understand why they're not losing weight and not performing. That's a hard conversation. Yeah. It, and it's, like I said, it's really sensitive because I don't want to be – I don't want to be the decider for somebody. And, you know, I part of what I'm going to talk about in the webinar is this concept of autonomy. You know, it's not my role to dictate somebody's decision making. And as a coach, though, my primary role is to make sure they stay healthy. That's what I care about. That's why people work with me. 
So if they're being, you know, maybe not smart about some of their training or some of their fueling, I may not know about it until it's too late. But at that point, I need to have a conversation with myself and be like, is it a smart idea for me to be working with this person if they can't um, seem to get a hold of some of these concepts? Because, you know, ultimately, I can't make those decisions for them. None of us can. And to me, it's really important that I honor my client's autonomy and choice. You know, if, if they're coming off of a stress fracture and they want to start running and I deem them in a good position to start doing that, I'm going to help them do that. I'm not going to hold them back simply because, you know, they've got a history of stress fracture. Like they have the choice to, to use their body however they want. And that's what I want to foster and help them understand at the same time though, while making sure they stay healthy, which involves really difficult conversations sometimes. And maybe even letting go of athletes. I was going to ask, have you had to do that? I haven't yet, but maybe soon. <laughs> I've got some right now. Yeah. That's Shots good. fired. Yeah. <laughs> They're one of yeah. our six listeners. That's a, there's your wake up call right there. <laughs> I want to take a step back to something you said earlier about menstrual cycles and explaining the differences in how the female athlete's going to feel or maybe even maybe even the way that you program. I want to ask you about that. Do you program around that? Because we actually had so Greg Knuckles is doing some of his uh, PhD studies on on this kind of thing. We actually had him on the show and he talked a little bit about it. But you know, I'd like to hear this from from you and, and from your perspective. Is that something that you just have a conversation about, or do you do you sometimes program around that as well? I do a little bit of both. Uh, cause every, every person that I've worked with is different. I know that's like so cliche, but it's so true. And some women, like they just respond so strongly during certain times of their cycle. And it makes it very difficult for them to train, which makes it difficult for them to feel like things are moving in the right direction. And I believe in auto-regulating workouts. And so part of what I try and coach my athletes to do is to make subtle adjustments. Um, you know, if, if, for example, they wake up and they're like really fatigued, it doesn't make sense to do a super hard workout that day. We can save it for another day when you feel better. Like just get out, get some miles under your belt and take it easy as long as there's good communication. And like I said before, I'm using that Fitter Woman app the app is actually kind of expensive. And so I only use it with three athletes at a time and I cycle them through to help them conceptualize how their cycle can influence how they feel and how it can influence their training. Um, for example, one of my athletes just last week, she was in, according to the app phase four, which is like the pre-menstrual phase. It's when women feel the shittiest. <laughs> uh, we might be a little bit angry during those times. We might have difficulty sleeping during those times. And I hadn't specifically gone in and like adjusted her programming according to that phase, but because we had been using it, she knew that she could adjust some of the workouts and still be okay where we wanted her to be. Um, because now that she'll be past that this next week, We'll be able to push the needle a little bit more. Um, so it's it's a way to like gauge, you know, when is the right time to push to optimize somebody's performance in my eyes, 
Um, and when is maybe the right time to pull the reins a little bit? And that's interesting. That app is pretty cool. Um, I've just done it verbally. Um, I have an athlete that would be in phase four and she's like a PR monster at that time. Like we can push pretty hard. Um, other athletes, you know, you get the, the nausea and the bloating and the restlessness and it's just where we got to scale back. Um, so it is kind of an, it depends answer, but it is an individual experience very much. So I just think my biggest pet peeve with it is when people spread the narrative that it's some sort of like weakness, um, that that it just drives me nuts. I've had female athletes come to me and they express that coaches would not work with them because they are female because of that reason. Oh, yeah, it's, that's why it's a pet peeve. That's why it makes me very angry. Yeah. Um, But that's, that's it. It is something you have to kind of track and, and look at. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I was having a good conversation with my friend Claire about this the other day. Uh, yeah, do you guys know Claire's eye? We were probably talking to her at the same time. Yeah. About the same topic. Yeah, because, you know, it's like she was like, do you ever worry that an athlete will, uh, what was the, I forget the phrasing, you know, like take it easy when they shouldn't. And Uh, I get a little bit weirded out by these conversations because I'm like, well, what's the goal of training? You know, like what, what's the point for anybody? You know, if you're working towards maybe a PR or whatever, you're probably going to get that whether you mod, mod that workout or not. Um, And to me, it's all about optimization, right? Like finding the right times to optimize those training experiences Um, more than it is about, like, I don't know, being soft with somebody and, um, like letting them take it easy at the same time though, again, I so strongly believe in autonomy and I'm, I'm not in the coaching business to like, you know, make athletes be the best, most amazing athletes. I'm, I'm in it to improve their lives and help them improve their lives. And, um, I view my role as a coach as like giving them a more robust understanding of what that means you know, and sure, we can work towards PRs, we can work towards big goals and um, re- probably reach those goals. But we don't need to we don't need to have a linear approach in doing that. It doesn't really make any sense anyway. Like it's a way that our life periodizes for us as women, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't you think some of that comes down to education and training skill? Yeah. Like as as they experience those situations, if they push themselves a little bit harder and they're successful, then they're probably more likely to do it again. You don't necessarily have to like put your foot on the gas and get after them. You can try to expose them to that experience through education. And if it increases their training skill over time, then they're probably more likely later on to figure that out better and be more autonomous. A hundred percent. You know, that's like, yeah, 100%. I so agree. I think it's, it sounds like the, obviously these principles are universal human principles, auto regulation. It's like, well, you mentioned some of your athletes at that phase of their menstrual cycle may have a downtick in performance. They may, but then John gives the example of one of his athletes actually has an uptick. So it's, it's still dynamic and unpredictable and Male athletes have upticks and downticks as well. So I think it all comes to me. It sounds like it all circles back to you're no, you're not different 
because you're a female athlete, and that's a good thing. Now yeah. you have this other, yeah, you have this. No, we're talking menstrual cycles. Obviously, you've got that thing to manage, and and maybe the probability of that affecting training is higher than if it weren't there. If you're a male athlete, and you don't you're not dealing with that, right? Yeah. So I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, but but I think the message to me sounds just like treat yourself as if you are an athlete. It's yeah. not a female athlete, a male athlete. You're an athlete. Yeah. And and, and- yeah. As an adult, too, I think, like, you know, when I was young, none of this stuff mattered. You're just, like, you know, playing soccer. You're just doing exactly what you're told all the time. Um, But now as adults, like, we have a little bit more flexibility. And maybe if you're on an elite level, you do not have that flexibility. I think most people that I'm working with right now are are they have that flexibility. And if we can use it to decrease their injury risk, to keep them in sport and activity longer and keep them healthy doing that and feeling like they have some semblance of, I, I control is the wrong word because I feel like that, but maybe control is the right word. I don't know. Some semblance of like control over these things. Uh, I think, again, that is a barrier to entry, right? Like we remove another barrier by empowering them to understand these things better and showing them that they can have choice in the matter. And um, it doesn't have to be like A plus B plus C. It can be a little bit more emergent. What's been going through my head as we've been talking about this is just that the stories that we tell ourselves matter and how it's just another way, I'm sure, just to, to say what you three have said. Um, and what I think I would be impressing upon people that I'm working with and what I, what I have is to try to not count themselves out prematurely based on something that they think is going to influence their performance. We've talked about this before. You can go into the gym and feel crappy and just, you know, think that today's going to be a terrible performance or terrible session and Quinn, your lines. Okay. Just warm up. See how you feel. See how that goes. Um, and I think that equipping people to sort of reiterate that to themselves in the moment, that to me is, is kind of one of the things that you're getting at there, Ellie, and mm-hmm. um, allowing themselves to, if they realize that they, they, their premonition was correct, that today kind of feels shitty. All right, here are my options. I I know how to handle this just because I'm capable and I've done this and you know I'm all right. Um, but then if they start surprising themselves and like, well, that, that moved pretty good, then uh, they also have options and they know how to take it in that direction too. Exactly, and that's that's just it. Like creating those options for them, you know, and showing them that you know you have the choice in this this experience. Like you can go hard, you can get out there and kind of see and play it out. But if you're feeling like shit, it's okay to pull the reins a little bit, you know, and and with the menstrual cycle, there are certain times of the cycle where sleep won't be as good and things of that nature. And for this particular athlete, she was sleeping like crap. (laughs) And we know that influences injury risk. So like, why, why do we need to have you on the gas during these times when you're struggling? Like, we can pull the reins and um, make adjustments or, like, tailor your program back and, like, push the needle in other ways. So I, I think those creating options for people and giving them the opportunity to dictate how their path is going to go to a certain degree as a coach is really important to engaging them in the process and, and motivating them to keep doing it. 
And I find the more they, the more they buy into that pattern and the more they see it play out, the more apt they are to trust it. It's, it's, it's hard to get over that initial barrier sometimes and that initial hump to get them to just kind of buy in and, and get it, get through that. But then they start to see, oh, the pattern is I always push, I always make it through and, and there's light at the end of the tunnel and then, and we move forward. And, and then it doesn't become, I'm never making progress. It becomes, this is just part of the process. Right. Right. Exactly. Ellie, where, this has been a great conversation. I think the, the webinars, I'm really excited to, to hear a little bit more of the nuance of some of these things too. Um, where can people find you and, and get in contact with you? Uh, you can find me, uh, best way is probably email. Um, and my email is Ellie, E-L-L-I-E at csuseattle.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, Dr. Ellie Summers. And, you know, I have a website and all of that jazz, csuseattle.com as well. So csuseattle is the, the endurance piece yes. that you oh, have, yeah. the endurance platform, right? Yeah. yeah. I just started, I just started a, a CSU official page. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. It's hard to manage two, <laughs> two accounts. And I'm like, you know, a little bit like struggling with maintaining social media presence as I get busier. So <laughs> we'll see. CSU is Finnish. Yeah. CSU is a Finnish term. It stands for hardiness and grit the ability to overcome obstacles in the face of adversity. Yeah. Good term. It's awesome. And if anybody missed yeah. it, I implore them to go back into Nick Hanna's Instagram and find your stuff from there. The series you did was excellent. excellent I really stuff. appreciate hearing that because it, it didn't do that well. <laughs> it was well. I loved it. I thought it was really good. I'm horribly Thank biased you. though, because you speak to our audience. So yeah. Yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it. Nick is awesome. He was actually here in Seattle not that long ago. He's a cool guy. And you can't, you can't judge the success on like the exposure on social media because it's seriously, it's the things that you work the hardest on that yeah. seem to just fall flat from the, like the reach standpoint, but it's out there now. And like, if you continue to just put out quality content, it, it, yeah. people see that as a pattern, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Totally. Uh, and from this, you're going to get six more likes on that campaign. Oh, <laughs> yes. Go back. Go back. Everybody go back and see We've it. We've arrived. <laughs> Maybe if we're lucky, my mom's listening and you'll get seven. Yes. <laughs> and if you look at her story now, you'll see her doing some sweet pause pulls at the knee. Um, pause yeah. at the knee plus clean plus power <laughs> jerk. Those are weightlifting exercises, Jared. Weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. I really was confused. And first is that, of all, is that what they call it sport? It's a sport. It's an actual oh. sport. Oh. So next summer in the Olympics, you'll be able to watch it. Yeah. So they get oh, okay. kicked out. <laughs> but Ellie, on your on your Instagram story today, you are two pounds under your PR. Uh, two pounds under what I want to be doing for a, a complex, an overhead complex. Okay, because it didn't yeah. look very, it didn't look very hard. And so I, so I wanted to ask you who's, like, who stops two pounds under where they want to be 
I know, I know. Okay. I, I don't have, you know... It's autonomy, Quinn. Back up. I, <laughs> no. I guess I, I could probably no. have done a, a five-pound increase from there, but I was already, like, sort of pressing out the weight overhead. All right, so. all right. We'll get under it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. I'm trying. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. This thank was you. This was really, Happy really great. Thing. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was fun. Good think, chat. Yeah, I think people are going to get a lot out of it. A lot of important messages. And yeah, I think it's a good one. And stay tuned. Is you, are we going to call this kick ass rehab for the female athlete? <laughs> I'm I'm game. Are you? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, we've already uh, got. You the... can change the name if you want to change no. the name. If it's no. like, no, I like it. No, I like but it. It's That's my style. Hashtag powerlifting sucks. As the <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've already got the mature tag on it on this episode now. We're, th- we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ellie. This was great. No, thank you, guys. Yeah, it was great to connect. We'll talk soon, John, Jared. Thanks as always. Of course. Pleasure.